all right all right day 291 welcome back to windows and mirrors podcast my name is keith and remember this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the bible is more like a window than it is a mirror we come to it to see through it and to see god not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves all right so today is uh the first day of first timothy and we've been working our way through paul's letters and today we come to a subgenre of paul's letters actually called the pastoral epistles right so today first timothy is the first one and then we'll move uh and talk about second timothy and titus and paul basically is going to write these letters to these pastors particularly here uh to timothy and uh timothy is someone who was like a son to paul he was like a son in the faith to paul he is someone he had discipled someone he had been on mission with someone he, that, that paul was so close with that he would send him uh in place of him right like so he would send timothy in place of him his own presence uh if he couldn't uh come or or stay in a place uh we see this in first thessalonians and we see this in um uh, Philippians, Philippians. And so uh, here he writes specifically to him about actively opposing false teachers, right? And instructing false teachers and false teaching and instructing the church at Ephesus, right? In sound doctrine and how to live sound lives, right? In light of that sound doctrine. It's interesting um, that the word he uses for sound doctrine throughout this text uh, is where, uh, is, is, is Huguenio. Uh, it's, it's a word where we get our word uh, hygiene from. So it's interesting that um, there's, there's this health, I think, that, that we can confidently say, this well-being that Paul wants uh, in these churches. And a lot of it has to do with what they actually believe, right? And so um, right off the bat, Paul doesn't waste any time. He says, as I urged you, <laughs> when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. So I don't want you to leave this hard place of ministry. I don't want you to leave this place that uh, is teaching things that are contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I actually want you to stay. Uh, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. I had a professor in seminary uh, who used to say that theology advances by way of heresy uh for those of you who don't know uh what heresy is heresy essentially is any type of false teaching that, that doesn't coincide with orthodoxy now orthodoxy <laughs> have to explain all these terms orthodoxy uh come is similar to, to our word orthodontics so orthodontics uh means uh you, you go to get your teeth corrected orthodoxy is about correct doctrine as deduced from scripture right and that has been true right that statement Theology advances by way of heresy uh, has been true throughout church history, uh, and it, it is it is a fact, right, that we have always clarified, nuanced, and spelled out what we believe based on error that has arisen. And one of the things that Paul does here, though, he shows, and he will say this in Titus as well, is that part of the role of pastoral ministry, according to Paul, is the work of addressing false teaching. Now, that takes a variety of forms, whether it be in the pulpit, whether it be in small groups, whether it be in one-on-one -on -one counseling sessions with members, whether it be in Sunday school. But Paul is saying that I need uh, you to know that you have to address this stuff. And so the the the, the presumption that Paul is making, I think, uh, if we want to apply the timeless truths of Scripture, is that there will be false teaching among us, <laughs> right? I think Peter gets at this as well. I've said this about the Old Testament text there will be false prophets there will be false teachers and we have to have discernment and god has uh, ordained and placed leaders in place to help the church uh understand what we ought to believe and how we ought to live in light of what we believe here it's interesting that we don't know the specific heresy but it led folks to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies and misconceptions about the law so many scholars will say hey it was probably something very jewish and i would i would probably say so yeah because it's like you read the old testament even the new testament in places uh you see a ton of genealogies <laughs> uh and you and you and you know that people were very much um trying to understand where people descended from uh especially in, in light of the priesthood especially in light of 
of um, um, who was really a Jew, especially after exile, right? You have all these things lost. Um, who was a descendant of David, all this kind of stuff. And so uh, Paul is like, fam, like, no, no, people, people want to use the law, but they ain't, they don't know how to use it lawfully, right? Like the law is good as long as it's used lawfully, right? The Torah is good as long as you actually know how to read the Torah, right? It's meant to point out sin. It's meant to correct uh, 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 our sins. It's, it's meant to uh, be a schoolmaster, a tutor, right? It's supposed to lead us to Christ, right? All of these things. And Paul is saying, I love what he says here too, because he's going to say, no, no, like uh, on the other hand though, like the goal of our instruction on the other hand, contrary to that is love, right? Right. The goal of everything that the Bible is trying to teach you is to get you to uh, be a person of love in, uh, in conformity to Jesus Christ. And he's like, it's love that comes from a pure heart. Uh, that's language taken from Jesus, actually. A good conscience and a sincere faith. Right. And he's like, that ain't what they own. Right. And Paul is going to move and talk about how, uh, you know, the outcomes and effects of the false teaching and then the outcomes and effects of the sound teaching, right? And how that comes to the gospel itself. So he talks about love, but he also talks about the gospel. So he goes to verse 11. And he says, no, no, like our sound teaching conforms to the gospel, right? Concerning the glory of the blessed God, which was entrusted to me. And then he talks about how, it's funny, how uh, uh, um, sound teaching actually does transform people, right? Sound teaching that conforms to the gospel actually transforms people. And he uses his own testimony as a case, right? This is why he tells his testimony in this text. He says, no, this is what the real gospel does. It changes folks, right? God used a wretch like me, right? To exemplify uh, what he can do through uh, the teachings uh, that, that, are, that are found in scriptures, right? He, he went from one who was 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 persecuting Christians, uh, who now exemplifies and shows the power and patience of Christ. I love what he says. He says, all this was so that Christ Jesus, the Messiah Jesus, might demonstrate, hear this, I love this line, his extraordinary patience. Oh man, if we just had time today to think about how extraordinarily patient God is with us and with humanity in general, Man, I think that would transform us to be more patient with people in our own lives and even more patient with ourselves, right? God used Christ Jesus to demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe, right? So this extraordinary patience that, that Paul has uh, received is for you as well, right? To those who will believe in him for eternal life. And then from here, uh, which he's going to do uh, recurringly throughout the letter, he's going to just break out in the hymn. He says, now to the king. <laughs> eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, <laughs> be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In chapter two, he transitions uh, from there to talk about the corporate worship gathering uh, and how the church ought to conduct itself uh, in how it lives, right? And from here to about uh, 313, he will go on in this gospel-shaped living, right? So it's this teaching that you receive is not just so you can win theological debates, <laughs> right? But it's actually so that it can work its way out into the community and we can all live differently on earth. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, he says prayers in a lot of ways, uh, be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a, a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. We kind of read over this first part. Where he says, uh, this is to be done for everyone. I've, I've heard this verse thrown out uh, around election time saying like, hey, we need to pray for the people in, in, in power and positions and rulers and all that kind of stuff. Um, and for kings and all that kind of stuff. But um, Paul is like, no, no, like for everybody. <laughs> so 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 this verse needs to be stamped on our hearts, not just when election time comes or anything like that. He's saying like we need Paul. Paul wants all sorts of prayer for all sorts of people is how I usually say it. Right. And one of my biggest prayers uh, for the church um, that I'm in and for the, the, the other believers that I know uh, around the world <laughs> uh, is that we would just be praying people, right? Like that, 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 the, that the prayers of God's people 
would be persistent, right? Paul says that in other places as well. But he also mentions the reason kind of behind this. And it's so good because he talks about how, you know, um, it's so that we can lead a peaceful life. In other words, uh, it seems as if, and many have pointed this out, that he wants them to pray, especially on behalf of the leaders, uh, in such a way that God will grant them favor in the eyes of leaders. Meaning, not that they would uh, love everybody who, or we're supposed to love everybody, not that they would be a fan or endorse any kind of candidate or or, or king or ruler. I'm not saying that. that. I'm saying that... Um, that, that Paul wants them to pray in such a way that they would have favor in the eyes, that the community would have favor in the eyes, so that they would be able to, be able to continue to worship Christ, right? Um, so they would be able to do that freely, right? And so that folks would be saved, right, that are in those positions as well. Um, moving from there, Paul goes on, and he gives instructions to both men and women. And he talks about how the men, he are, are supposed to be praying again, and how the women are supposed to uh, not have this elaborate kind of uh, 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 showmanship uh, in terms of how they dress and the things they wear within the church, uh, the modesty that he that he calls for. And then he goes on to talk about um, teaching, right? And in this section, I want to say this, this section, uh, 1 Timothy 2, especially verses 11 to 15, um, is, is, is highly debated, right? Uh, and it's taken in different ways by many scholars I respect on both sides, right? Who Some would say um, this is a prohibition that Paul gets into against all teaching and all leading among women in all places in all times. Um, and, 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 and others will argue based on this rare word he uses uh, about authority, that it's something negative, right? Um, but based on what we know in the ancient world. Uh, and so therefore this talks about, you know, the false teaching that we know is rampant that he, Paul gets, gets at in the beginning of the letter. There was this Ephesian goddess Artemis. We learned about uh, Artemis in, uh, the book of Acts. I believe it's Acts chapter 20, um, a female pagan deity. And so many was like, no, like, Hey, the context is that, uh, there's this false teaching being propagated by Artemis and the women are believing the false teaching, which leads them to have a domineering, uh, authority over their husbands in light of the idols of Ephesus. Um, yeah. And again, I think there are so many questions we can ask and both sides have really valid points. Uh, other sides talk about the creation and how Paul rooted in creation. Why would he do that? If it's not something that's binding always. Um, I think there's, there's many uh, valid points on both sides. I think what is clear, uh, however, is that Paul is going to say that the women do need to learn, right? And they need to, to devote themselves to good works. And he talks about right before that, how the men need to be prayerful and not argumentative, argumentative. And, I think what Paul is clear about is that he has a vision for both men and women in the church, right? Prayerful and devoted to doing good to those around them. I think, uh, of course, we need to nuance uh, uh, exactly what is going on here, uh, but this is not the place to do it because this is a devotional podcast <laughs> that is only supposed to be a few minutes. And if I can't speak to it uh, thoughtfully and in, in, in a nuanced way, I am not going to speak to it. So um, I think what's clear, again, is that Paul is saying that we need to be prayerful and that we need to be devoted to doing good to those around us. And he gives uh, all of us uh, a, a, a role in that. It is not just for your pastors. It is not just for your leaders, but it is for everyone, right, uh, to do uh, so that we can show the glory of Christ. First Timothy 3, he goes on to list the qualities of an overseer, uh, some would say pastor, uh, a bishop, right? Uh, and he says this, uh, an overseer, therefore, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitality, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must uh, uh, manage his own household com competently and have his children under control with all 
dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, he how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a newcomer or must not become uh, conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. It's interesting. I think this time reading it, uh, it's funny how much he mentions the devil. I'm like, Paul really does believe that there is a, an ultimate source of personal evil named Satan and that he uh, wants to destroy folks' ministry, right? And I think we need to remember that as well uh, in the context of gospel ministry. But the thing I love about this list as well is, for the most part, all of the things that Paul lists are ordinary Christian virtues, right? Uh, marital fidelity, self-control, sensible, respectable, hospitable, making sure uh uh, when this leader is not was pour, is pouring a glass of wine that their that their hand doesn't get too heavy, right? Paying attention to how they manage their household. How can you uh, uh, manage God's family? You can't even manage your own family, right? Um, all this kind of stuff. And so, uh, as we said many times, uh, like we've seen it, right? That a church uh, can be so concerned with how gifted a, a young pastor is or a, a, a young leader is that they overlook uh, the godliness of that young leader or young pastor, and God is so much more concerned with our character than our competency, right? God is more concerned with our character. And I think this is a word to me as well, especially as someone who, uh, if you know anything about me, wants to be very competent, wants to get better at craftsmanship, all that kind of stuff. Um, God is saying like, this person should be more concerned. His, his character should run circles around his competency. Now, not that that doesn't mean you shouldn't be competent. He says um, that this leader should be able to teach, right? But this godliness must run circles around the giftedness and this is what paul is going to say if he wants to lead god's people this is the high calling he is called to right um but if i should be delayed he says uh, i have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in god's household which is the church of the living god the pillar and foundation of truth paul makes it clear that his aim is to inform us about how god's children ought to behave in god's house and he finishes with another hymn Right. Uh, showing us that all of this should lead to the praise and glory of Christ himself. He says he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached on among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Notice he gives the gospel in summary form. And again, the gospel is just a story about Jesus. And it encompasses everything from his incarnation to his resurrection, to his uh uh, to the proclamation right about his victory to him being uh, ascended uh to the right hand of the father and him reigning there right now on our behalf listen i think what paul wants to sum up for us in this section is is he wants to say like hey knowing the person and work of jesus is the key to the strength and flourishing of god's family and the faith community may we continue to conform to the knowledge and understanding and intimacy with the great Christ and live amongst each other in the way God has called us to live so that we may become people of love. Let's pray. God, we ask for your grace today to live out the glorious vision that you've laid before us. I pray that we will conform to the gospel. I pray that the goal of our instruction will be love. I pray that we will be a pure heart and in good conscience and a sincere faith. God, would you help us to understand the things in your word that are difficult to understand? And I pray that we will live our best to apply them for uh, our own good.